Good morning, Tom Moran here from Thomas Big Spiders on a Saturday afternoon. Bit of a nightmare this morning. Got up and got ready to do my podcast, was all ready to go. And when I started recording, it was obvious something was very, very wrong. My microphone was all messed up. Well, come to find out, apparently, Molly the other day, my yellow lab retriever cross who loves being around my space, sits around my computer all the time, apparently got uh, entangled in one of the cords, pulled the microphone down, and well, it sounds like it wasn't as well made as I hoped because when I plugged it back in, it did not work well at all. I, it was already plugged back in, but when I started using it, it didn't work well. So I've spent the last half hour trying to figure out what I was going to do for a microphone. I have a lavalier mic that I hadn't used before, and I decided I would try using it with my phone, but it only records in mono, and it sounded like it was coming through a tin can. So basically what happened is I decided, what the heck, I took the mic and banged it against my chair and plugged it back in, and it's working. Seems to be fine now. My levels on the computer program that I use are a little lower and but anyway, it's working, so we're going to go ahead. So to kick this one off, I want to go back to back uh, last week a little bit and talk about the dwarf white isopod incident. I have just to clue people in who hadn't listened to last week's episode. I put some dwarf white isopods in with my T. stigmiris scorpion colony and then started getting some mysterious deaths. Unfortunately, it seems that the, uh, many of the adults I had are now dead. And the culprit uh, appears to be the isopods of what looked like what was happening was the older specimens in the tank. There's ones of different ages, like I think three different age groups in the uh, tank right now. And the older ones were generally sleeping at the bottom of the cork or sleeping or hanging out at the bottom of the cork bark. I have cork bark laid at a 90 degree angle all over the inside of the enclosure. And while the babies were up on the cork bark, the adults tend to stay on the bottom, kind of not really burrowing, but staying like wedged beneath the, between the substrate and the cork bark. And those were the ones that I was finding dead. So we found a couple, found a couple more, come, uh, found one of them that was in half and basically was being devoured by the dwarf white isopods. And what I believed happened was the dwarf whites were actually eating the ones that were on the ground. I had mentioned that I had seen a Facebook post and I still, I went and tried to find where I I basically added what I thought was a bookmark so I could come back to this because the information did seem incredibly pertinent and I want to kind of see, you know, if anything happened in the future, I want to be able to go back and refer to it and like a ding dong, I can't figure out where it is, but somebody else emailed and said they saw the exact same one, but somebody was coming on saying that even the dwarf white, all isopods could possibly attack and and do harm and eat the, you know, I believe in this case it was a gecko that was being talked about, but they also talked about the fact that it could do the same thing to tarantulas. And some people are like, no, no, that's not true. That's not true. Well, it's it seems to be true and, and, and kind of a scary thought because I just got into these bioactive enclosures and everybody on every single video was coming on. You have to add isopods. You have to have springtails. Springtails was the most popular one, but a lot of people going, you have to have both springtails and isopods. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to. I've kept dwarf whites for years. I've used them in some enclosures with no issues. However, now I've added some of these guys in. Luckily, I've only done it to two enclosures. Now I'm a little bit worried. They are a boreal species. So I'm thinking with the dwarf whites, what I've noticed is they hang out by the ground and they don't tend to come up. They, they're right around the bottom of the cork bark. They don't tend to climb as much. But it got me thinking about how many people out there recommended that I use isopods for my tarantulas. There's a lot of different species out there, bigger ones, smaller ones. They're like, oh, they look great in the enclosure. Well, one of the things that came out of this is the fact that apparently the isopods do need protein. One of the things they were devouring when they were going in to the scorpion tank, which I liked, is the scorpions would molt. 
and I would never find a single molt from the scorpions, which I just assumed the isopods were devouring that molt or whatever it was. And that seems to be the case. They were eating the molts, which is why out of, I think at one point I had, I believe, almost 50 scorpions in that tank, not a single molt to be found. And I check those guys at least once or twice a week. Go in, moisten the substrate, spray some water down so they can drink from the sides, feed them, whatnot, and never see anything. So it sounds like what happened is, A, the population exploded, and this is something I had heard about before. Uh, again, when I bought from the bio dude in his video, he mentioned that you could put isopods and springtails in, but you really needed to be careful that the isopods' numbers don't explode. And I remember kind of making a mental note of, okay, this is something I really need to pay attention uh, with to make sure that, you know, I, I don't know what happens when they explode. I just assume it meant there was too many of them running around. It might annoy the spider or scorpion or centipede. However, it sounds like what happens is there's not enough food and they're going to find food where they can get it. So if there is, uh, we'll say, low-hanging fruit, as in a scorpion that's sitting right on the ground, they seem to attack it. And a good hobby buddy of mine, Melissa Fujimoto, who's been around for years, we've corresponded for quite some time, and always a pleasure to hear from her. Uh, Facebook messaged me about this incident and basically said, yes, the isopods will seek out not only protein, but vegetable matter and calcium. Exoskeletons are composed of protein, so it makes them tasty to isopods. So you start to think if the exoskeletons taste good, then they don't have any exoskeletons and maybe there's not. And I will tell you in this enclosure, it's not like a bioactive enclosure. It, originally, it just had substrate and I believe I used cocoa fiber and some of the isopods that I had originally in with the slings when they were in, uh, I believe it was topsoil originally. So there's nothing for them to eat there. So they're eating the exoskeletons. Those are nice and tasty. Mm, we got a protein and then they run out of exoskeletons like, oh, Here's an exoskeleton with actual animal inside. And then next thing you know it, they're eating my scorpions. So again, I hope my, my tone right now may seem to be, you know, high, you know, upbeat and not very affected by this, but this bothers me a lot. Like I love these guys, this, this communal, I've had this, one of the things I wanted to do when I got into the bioactive enclosures was to set up a stigmaris communal, but do it right with plants, set it up like a jungle environment and have these guys everywhere in it. And now to have this happen, I lost a lot of this was my first group of babies that basically were devoured by these things. So I'm really upset about it. So Melissa, thanks so much confirming my suspicions and backing up the fact that these guys could be a hazard if the populations explode, if they don't have things to eat. She also went on to say that they are 100% omnivores. So for people that don't know what the omnivores mean, it means they will eat both plant and they will eat protein animal life. So that's important to know. And even though, although the smaller ones obviously won't climb, and she goes on to say that she will only use them for arboreal or semi-arboreal species, because obviously they, they're going to be up off the ground and aren't going to be so much in jeopardy of getting munched by the isopods. But that's something I don't think a lot of people realize. That I, I think a lot of us... We get on and people will go, oh, I have mold in my enclosure. Like, throw in some springtails, throw in some isopods. And I'm sure a lot of people have used them over the years and never had a single issue. But it's like one of those things, like, I, I love the one where people talk about, for example, the the height of the aquariums you need to use for tarantulas. It's a big thing where if it's too tall, they can fall and injure themselves. And people go, oh, I kept my G. Rose in a 10-gallon with about an inch of substrate for years. She never got hurt. Just because it doesn't happen often doesn't mean it can't happen. There's a lot of things in this hobby that, you know, we talk about the wire mesh 
in the Exoterra nanos or Exoterra enclosure, they have wire mesh tops to them. And more often than not, you can put spiders in there. They're fine. But I have personally seen them get their toe claws caught in it. I had a Brachypelma baimi Baumgartney, my hybrid female that was about three and a half inches at the time in one of the eight by eight by eight nanos with the screen top. And I'd heard people say they could get caught. And I'm like, ah, whatever. And I came home one day and found her dangling from the top by two of her legs. Her, her toe claws got caught. So again, we have a lot of things in the hobby that they may not happen often, but they can happen. And, and it's one of those things that do you roll the dice and take a chance do you replace the tops with plexiglass? Do you make sure you have enough substrate so if the tarantula crawls around and gets on the top and falls, they don't get injured potentially? Or do you use isopods thinking they probably will do more good than potential harm, knowing the fact that if your spider were to molt on the ground, they could be attracted to that and injure it. And again, we talked about one of the animals that was talked about being munched on by them was geckos. They apparently like very healthy, normal geckos. Some of them were taking bites out of. Obviously, I've seen it with my scorpions. I went and recounted, and although I found some of them dead, there are some missing. Now, they did not escape. It's absolutely possible so there's no issue there they were probably likely completely devoured and again i found the one that was it was like something out of a horror movie it's like oh this little guy's dead i go drag him out and it's in half so people need to be aware i think what happens is we hop on we hear things we hop on videos again i'm sure people have used them for years without incident but i know in this thread the poor there was one individual that came on started the thread and i think it was in his approach where it was done in kind of a confrontational let's get people riled up way to a point like all oh, you people that use ice pods they can kill your tarantulas it was just said in a way that was meant to be provocative and to elicit perhaps less than a positive response it wasn't like hey guys i've heard this it was more like screw you all this is what can happen and then somebody else came on and that was kind of the guy that i guess had originally raised the isopods knew a lot about them and he was much more just listen this is something people need to be aware of very he was basically trying to instruct people be educational and explain the issue and still people i believe he ended up if I remember correctly at the end of the thread he ended up basically going all right i've done i've said all i i need to say you guys can listen or not but it was a shame because people jumped all over. I'm like, no, I've used them for years. No, it's not true. The dwarf whites, and, and one of the ones that came up was the dwarfs cannot eat. They won't do it. They're completely safe. Well, I'm here to tell you they are not. They did quite a number on my T. stigmuris communal. Those guys are now out of there. I did take the stigmuris out. I, I did create more of a bioactive type setup with them. They do have springtails in with them now. No more dwarf white isopods. Those are gone. And now I'm trying to decide what to do with my colony of them. I will probably use them for the arboreal species. As Melissa said, they can work well for those because the arboreals won't molt on the ground. They generally will be out of harm's way. But I don't think I'll be using them in terrestrials anymore. She did tell me one way that you could actually check to see if they were blowing up was to put in a water dish and basically look underneath the water dish, which I thought was a great idea. And I've noticed this when I in my colony of dwarf white ice pods. What I do is have pieces of cork bark set all around. And if you pick up a piece of cork bark, you'll see dozens of them underneath the pieces of cork bark. So she said they like the security and the pressure on top of them. So it'll kind of give you an idea of how many are in there. Now, my next question would be anybody that's dealt with an explosion of dwarf whites, how do you get rid of them if there are too many? That was the other question that kind of arose as I was going through this. So let's say I... Oh, I, I go up, I pull up a water dish, I look underneath, and uh-oh, huge writhing mass of little white isopods. How do I get rid of them? I'm assuming at that point you have to let the enclosure dry out. I don't know if you would use uh, predatory mites, but anybody that has insight into this, let's keep this dialogue going. So 
Again, I will continue probably to use them in enclosures where there are, are arboreal. I will make sure that there is leaf litter and other stuff in there. Melissa did also mention that she put up some information about isopods on her page, so I am going to supply that link in the description for this podcast because I do think it's important that people be informed of these. This is one of those things, again, that... I'm just getting into the bioactive stuff. I have used them quite a bit. I think I got the first batch of them like three years ago. So I've been using them for quite some time without incident. But here we go. That's one incident. And it was it was a devastating one. So people need to be aware. Sometimes when they, they hear things, make sure you do your research. Apparently, I didn't do enough research because I was informed the things I read said that dwarf whites were completely safe. That's why I chose them to use in my enclosures. Uh, they, they pose supposedly no harm to the tarantulas, and I was 100% wrong on that. So that is totally on me. But a good reminder that I, again, I don't profess to be an expert at this stuff. I definitely am not an expert at isopods. I'm brand new to bioactive enclosures. I've used the cleaner insects before, but not to this degree. So live and learn. Unfortunately for me, it's live and learn. It's die and don't learn anything from my poor scorpion. So we'll end with on that note. But if anybody knows what you do when they explode, I would love to hear that. I don't know. I'm assuming you just let it dry out. But I think that would be important information for moving ahead. So moving on, we're going to briefly touch about, because this, I don't know what's going on. I'm guessing somebody must have put a video or uh, something out there about the water dish situation with tarantulas again. And I, I everybody knows this is one of my pet peeves when people start arguing they don't use water dishes. And, and to be very, very clear, originally I did a video a couple of years, probably three years back now, two and a half years back, or it, it seems to be quite a while ago. It was a rather boring video where it was just basically me taking the cameras before I, I got on camera with my face. I, I stayed off it and it was just me basically talking and ranting and looking at a bunch of water dishes on a dirty table. Um, it's got a lot of views, a lot of likes, which is good. But what basically started this thing is I got attacked on one of my videos. I believe it was, it might've been the LV Elosophies one. The first one Billy shot, as a matter of fact. And somebody came on really nasty and was like, LOL, why do you include water dishes? You're an idiot. It, it really got nasty with the guy basically telling me I was an idiot for putting water dishes in there. I tried to explain how the, the, I've seen many of them drink, why I use water dishes in all my enclosures. I've addressed the topic many times before, and this just really irritated me. And then there was another instance where a YouTuber who I don't think, I, I don't know if this individual's around anymore or whatnot, but I was watching the video. It was really good. And they were giving advice and they were telling people, you don't have to use water dishes. Don't use water dishes. Now that, that was, it wasn't the fact if they had said, I don't use them, but I do this. Or I don't use them because I felt like I don't need them. It was more I don't use them because I'm too lazy to clean the dishes and fill the dishes. It's too much work to keep water dishes full. That was basically it. And that, that did bother me a bit because people were like, oh, good. I had water dishes in mine. I'm going to take them all out. And then the other one was that slings and, and tarantulas can drown in them, which is completely not true. So that irritated me. So I did this video. It, it did get uh, make the rounds. And it's kind of been a running theme for the last several years that I love seeing pictures of tarantulas drinking from water dishes. So I don't know what's just happened recently, but... But I got contacted on two videos and an email to sum up. One of them was just asking, hey, I just I forget that I just was in a discussion about transfers and water dishes. And somebody said they're a complete waste of time. What are your thoughts on it? So I sent them a link to that video, you know, wrote some stuff up. The other two were on videos. Why bother spending time putting water dishes in there? They don't have one of them. Was, they don't have water dishes in the wild, idiot, which is my favorite argument in the world. Yep, they don't have water dishes in the wild. They also don't live in 
glass or plastic boxes. They don't have fake trees and plants. They don't have temperature regulated homes. They have predators. They don't have big humans that come and feed them. So let's, that's just the silliest argument on the planet. As far as I'm concerned, it's not even a logical argument. It's just ridiculous. And then the other one was, I don't keep mine with, let's see what we got. I don't keep mine with dishes at all. Why are you wasting your time on this? Just spray every once in a while. Awesome. So again, just to clarify my view on this, I do use dishes with almost all mine, not all of them. I'll be completely honest. There's some, I have uh, four Fondapelma slings right now that are in tiny little vials. They were little, little guys. And it's just not, I can't get a dish in. And there are a couple other species. I have a hard time keeping the dishes, you know, full of water and not full of, say, web or dirt. So to say that they, and, and I always try to see both sides of an argument. And I've mentioned before when talking about this topic that I know there are people out there that have kept tarantulas for years that don't use water dishes that haven't had any issues. I'm not going to tell people that they have to absolutely have water dishes. Do I think it's a good idea? Yes, I do. Do I think that it makes sense just for a precaution? Yes, I do. Do I think it's really that much work to keep the water dishes in there in full? No, I don't. But... That's not, this isn't one of those issues where I can say, you know, 100%, you absolutely have to have water dishes with all things. It's not true. I can't say that. It's, it's not a fact. It's, it's my opinion. However, what I will say as a fact is that there are many, many, many people out there who have caught their tarantulas drinking from water dishes. I had a whole thread of them once on my Facebook page where people were throwing them up there. I think I'm going to ask people to do that again this week just for fun because I love seeing those pictures. Plus, you know, like they say, pictures worth a thousand words. So a hundred pictures of tarantulas drinking really it really does a lot to quell that argument that they don't need or won't use water dishes. Now, am I going to sit there and go to a keeper who has kept tarantulas for years successfully with no deaths from dehydration, who has their own system down for keeping them hydrated and tell them you absolutely, you're a fool. You should just No, I'm not. That's not what I'm about. Everybody has their own way of doing this. One of the things we've really tried to impart with the Tom's big spiders, the whole message of it is to just be informed do your research, know what works for you, talk to many people, and recognize that sometimes there are many different ways of doing things. I personally think that water dishes are a good idea. I've seen situations where enclosures have accidentally dried out, but the water dish is full, so the spider is hovering over the water dish. That is something that they would not have had had the water dish not been there, and you might have had a dead spider. Also, I've been conversing with new keepers and beginners for probably, God, six years now, five years, I don't know, I don't want to exaggerate, but it's been a long time that I've have people emailing on my website, now through my YouTube videos, Facebook, whatever. And guess what the biggest reason for death is? It's usually a spider they find in the death curl. In many instances, it's, oh gosh, the cage dried up and my spider was dead. And I've had several instances where people have gone back afterwards and went, you know what? I wish I had included a water dish. I didn't have a water dish. It dried out and now I have a dead spider. So, I find that it's a good precaution. I've had people tell me, well, G. rosea, they live out in the you know, scrubland. There's not any water. They'll mention other species. They're completely arid species. Guess which species of spider I've seen drink more often than any other species I keep? I'll give you a second to come up with your answer. It's, you probably already know what it is. Yeah, it's the G. rosea. Mine drinks all the time. I have a GBB. I've or two GBBs. I've seen them drink many times. That's another species that's usually considered arid. I've seen many of my arid species the other day. I saw my C. darlingi coming up, getting a good swig of water. You know, ones that a lot of people will keep a little bit on the drier side. Getting water out of, get ready for it, it's water dish. So my 
thought was always this. We do know, we have proof. This is not a gray area. We have proof that tarantulas, many tarantulas, will drink from water dishes. All right, so let's establish that. Then my next question would be, then why not include them just in case? Give them that opportunity. Can they survive without water dishes? Of course they can. There are people that have, you know, regiments where they spray things down. And I know particularly with my arboreal species, a lot of times they like drinking right off the glass. You come in, you give the glass a good miss. My little avicularia species will come over and, and slip right off it like little vacuum cleaners. My C. versicolor will do the same thing. I've seen Pizzolatheria do it. So does the misting, can the misting be used in part to help keep them hydrated? Yeah, I can. It's it definitely, I'm not going to tell people, and that's the other thing is for years, the whole idea of misting is like, don't waste your time. It does have its purposes. When you have a species that will drink from leaves like they would in the wild or drink from the side of the enclosure, or what I like to do sometimes, and I've heard other people do this as well, is the cork bark usually has several holes and pivot, you know, divots in it and whatever. You spray the heck out of the cork bark that fills up with some water and they'll come and drink from those little recesses in the cork bark. So it gives them another place to drink from. However, I still keep the water dish in there as well because I've seen them drink from that. So to answer the people that, you know, if this comes up again, because I'm not going to devote a heck of a lot of time to this topic because I've done it before. Here's the deal. I am not going around on other people's videos saying you need to get a water dish in there. Your tarantula is going to die. That's never been my shtick. If I look at a picture of a tarantula in an enclosure and it's obvious that part of the enclosure is moist and they're keeping it hydrated, that's working for them. I'm not out there to police people and I've never done that. I think what's happening is people are going out there and probably in public forums attacking folks who aren't putting water dishes in there. And again, here's the deal. If you want to help somebody and if you want them to listen to you, make it a suggestion, but be polite about it and give the person some room to back out if that's not what they want to do. So for example, there's a couple different ways to do this. You walk on and go, yo, you don't have a water dish in there. Your spider's going to be dead. Get one in there. It's, it's, you, they all need water dishes. That's probably not going to work. They're going to get defensive, tune you out, and you're not going to affect any change. So if you go on and go, hey, I noticed you don't have a water dish in there. I've seen mine drink quite a bit. I know some species won't use them, but it's, you know, just give some thought to adding one in there. That might open up a little more of a dialogue and keep the person, you know, allow the person to be a bit more receptive to your feedback is rather than just laying it down like an ultimatum or ultimatum or making them feel like they are a terrible keeper because they don't have a dish in there. And um, again, one of the things you have to remember is are there species that the water dishes become kind of impractical with? Absolutely. You can't, and, and we, I've talked about this with other people. We have some that will heavily web over their dishes on purpose. Um, we talked about one of the tricks is you can just kind of take the new water dish, especially if you use the little deli cups, you can take the deli cup and kind of push it into the old one and fill it back up, but they'll web it over again. My Formictopus species, their favorite toys on the planet are the little deli cups that I use for water dishes, or in some case, even the big water dishes. They will fill them with dirt. They will move them around the enclosures. I had one. I have a picture of this, and I have to find it. Hopefully, I can post to find the picture and post it up. She had four stacked inside each other. Basically, what would happen is I would go to water she would be around the water dish, a little nasty. So I'd just drop in another cup in a different corner and fill it with water, let her have the other one, and then come back later on. They'd be stacked in. I'd put another one. So she had four dishes that she stacked inside each other. Again, do I keep them full? Yes. Would I understand if a keeper went to heck with this? It isn't worth my time? Yes. But in which case, you better keep some of that substrate moist to keep them from drying out. So I do find, why, personally, water dishes give them a, an opportunity to drink if they don't have any other water source. So say I spray down the tank, that's going to dry up within a couple hours. So they have a short window there to actually go up and drink from it. Um, if I pour some water in a water dish, that's going to stay there for most cases up to a week and they can go drink right out of that. 
My theory has always been that if I see them drinking out of a dish, then I give them that opportunity. And although they may not need the dish, I'm going to put that one out there. There's a difference between absolutely have to have and, and, and you know need one, or does it make things convenient? Yeah, I think the dish gives them an opportunity to drink when they're thirsty. Because bottom line, I've seen enough of them drink to wonder to myself, when people don't include the water dishes, what happens when you have a tarantula that's thirsty? It has to wait till you drop. Like some people will say, oh, they get all their moisture from their prey. Well, that may be the case, but then why are they still drinking? Obviously, they're not getting all the moisture they would want, so wouldn't you want to give them that opportunity? That's my thought on it. I mean, personally, I'd like to think that if my G. rosea, I could probably keep her, and I did. I kept her dry for many, 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 many years. And then when I started putting a water dish in, noticed she used the water dish. So for years, she obviously lived. She didn't die because she didn't have the water dish. But why, if she's drinking, she must want water, right? So why not give her the opportunity? So that's kind of how I look at it. Obviously, I could have probably kept her for the full 20-something years without a water dish. She would have been fine. But you see them drinking once, it kind of drives home the point that you want to give them that opportunity. So I get that the heavy Webers can be tough. I get that the ones that completely, you know, that constantly fill their containers or their water dishes with dirt can be kind of a pain in the keister totally understand however for most of them they will drink out of them give it gives them an opportunity and that's why i put them in there also for moisture dependent species we like to keep moist substrate in there but another thing that works really well is putting a couple big full water dishes in there so for example for my theraphosa sturmy i always have two water dishes in the enclosures big water dishes they will drink out of them i caught my male drinking the other night and it gives them kind of a bit of extra moisture in the air around that area keeps them from drying out especially in the winter months and that's one place where they you know in the summer if you live in a place that's humid or if you're in the philippines where i know it's humid all the time the water dishes might not be as big of a deal it, it could end up being overkill if you have an enclosure that's moist your air actually in you know, where you live is quite moist and humid and then you got a big water dish in there might be a bit of an overkill completely understand that but when you have a place where your heat is running and it's drying out they really can prove to be lifesavers so my take on this while we move off to talking about the bioactive enclosure some updates I include them in, I would say, probably about, uh, if I'm being honest, 95% of my enclosures have them right now. Uh, 95% of my animals have them. The ones that don't are usually the smaller slings. Um, that's about it. And I've caught enough things drinking out of them to know that I will continue to do this. Plus, it's just part of my, when you water them, it's, it's part of my whole regimen. I enjoy doing it. Like, I, I know some people find it to be a pain in the rump trying to do the water dishes. I know there's whole videos out there of spiders attacking their water dishes when they try to fill them up. I, I've never had that happen, but oh well. Um, it's something that just gives me peace of mind to know that if things get a little drier, the heat kicks on. The other night, we went from 50 degrees to it dropped down to 15 degrees. The heat kicked on again. Everything dried out immediately. Those spiders all had water dishes to go to. So, Make the choice. I've said this before. If you have a way to do it that doesn't involve water dishes, I'm not here to tell you to stop doing it that way. But for people that are coming into this hobby and they're new to the hobby, before they jump on one side of the argument or the other, do your research. Look at the pictures. Again, guys, please flood my Facebook page with pictures of tarantulas drinking. That's what I'm hoping comes of this. I really want like a whole string of just tarantulas drinking. I love them. I know a lot of other people like posting them online. Put them up there. Just for proof, and then do your research. Talk to people. Talk to somebody that keeps them and doesn't, you know, have to spray. Ask, I mean, doesn't have to use water dishes. Ask what they do. Do they spray? Do they moisten things down? Ask what the temperature is in their house. Ask if they're in a place where it's humid. Find out information before you pick sides. I'm not telling everybody you have to use them. I'm telling you that I use them, and I find it to be, you know, it's 
it's just a, a safety precaution. It, it gives you a little extra peace of mind, and it gives your spider a chance to drink when maybe they don't have a you know nice juicy cricket or you don't have time to spray. And finally, do some updates on the bioactive enclosures. As everybody probably knows now, and I'm sure some people are rolling their eyes like, oh, no, more of this bioactive stuff. I'm loving it. I, I have to say that I'm learning the species of the plants now. I'm taking, it was almost like when I first got into tarantulas and I was writing down, you know, trying to learn the scientific names of them and trying to learn, you know, what the care is and what, you know, some plants need to be flooded and not dry out and some plants need to be kept moist at all times. It's just really interesting for me. And then trying to take that information and figure out how do I pair this properly with a species of tarantula so that it makes sense. And I will tell you right now from some of the research I've done, some of the things I've set up probably don't make a lot of sense. So I'll admit it. But uh, we did have, unfortunately, uh, our first casualty with the bioactive enclosures. No, it wasn't a spider. It was one of my phytonias. And I'm really upset because I absolutely love those plants. I think they're called nerve plants or something. But phytonia, I believe, is the scientific name. Phytonia is something. I'm Again, still learning this stuff, and I, with all the hoopla with trying to figure out the microphone, I left my notes in the other room, and I just don't feel like getting them right now. So anyway, one of my phytonias, I have one in an enclosure that I have not yet put anything in yet. We're trying to figure out which species we're going to put in it. I'm leaning toward a nandu, but again, the nandu is going to put on a lot of size and might be a little small for it. We'll see, but it is a gorgeous plant. Absolutely love it. So I picked up another one from Any Herp, and I have not posted this video yet because the video, at the end of the video for the Any Herp, uh, unboxing, I basically set up an enclosure with some of their plants and I've yet to put anything in that because I'm waiting a few weeks for the plants to establish themselves. So I keep talking about a video that has not been published yet. My apologies for that. But anyway, I picked up a little Fetonia plant, gorgeous little plant. Well, I don't know what happened. I planted it in the enclosure. It looked like it was doing great. And then little by little, it just started completely dying and crinkling up. So I pulled it out of the enclosure, tried to basically replant, which probably too much stress for the plant. I don't know. But Unfortunately, it did not make it. It turned into a crispy little pile of shriveled up leaves. So I'm really upset about that. The first plant I've lost, but some of the other ones are doing wonderfully. Uh, the Wandering Jew has become my new favorite plant because it seems like no matter what you do with them, they continue to grow. And I love the fact that you can snip off some of the pieces of them. The little, you can basically snip them off below one of the joints where the leaves and branches come out and drop them in some water or plant them in some substrate and you'll have another one. So they're just like, you know, little gremlins where they just reproduce. You stick them in water, they repro reproduce. Loving those. They're gorgeous. The colorations on them are nice. I like the fact that if you only plant like one or two, it doesn't take up a whole heck of a lot of room. So really those are, I have those right now in five different enclosures. They're doing great. The pothos, I think it's pothos, right? Pothos, pothos, I'm having a hard time. Pothos would make sense. I, it sounds more Latin to me, but who knows? I'm terrible at pronouncing the names. Those have been doing great. One of them, I've already had to trim twice. They grow like weeds. And supposedly you can replant the ones, the clippings for those. Somebody feel free to chime in on that one. I have one planted. It looks like it's growing, so we'll see. But those are looking great as well. And the GBB tank, the GBB has been webbing up a storm. Yep. Sec well, here's the deal. When I picked GBB, I was looking for an arid species, and supposedly they sold, the BioDude sold a kit for GBBs. So I decided, let me try out the kit because it seemed a little silly to me to use live plants in something that it was going to basically web the snot out of. And so far, the snake plant that's in there is doing well. It's growing, but there is a lot of webbing on it. So we'll have to play that by ear. I do not want to, I love that plant. So if I have to, I will pull the GBB out. We will redo the plants and put fake ones in there. And then the other one was the fern that I put in there that is still doing well, growing great, not as much webbing on it. So I'm hopeful that one will be able to remain in there and do well. 
Uh, so, so far, the, uh, what was the other one? The Croton? Croton? Croton. We'll call it Croton. I'm probably mispronouncing these. So, if you're into plants and you're listening to this and you're wincing every time I mispronounce one of these, my humblest apologies. Believe me, I get it. I Hopefully, people will chime in with some pronunciations. I love that. Although, it usually turns into an argument about different types of Latin and no, it's pronounced this way. But, Feel free to chime in if I'm pronouncing wrong, but that one, the Croton, has done very, very well. A couple other plants I have in there doing very, very well, growing up very lush. So absolutely loving. I know I keep saying that. That should be my new catchphrase. Absolutely loving. I'm a, I adore the bioactive enclosures. They look fantastic. The spiders are out. I catch the spiders out quite a bit more. My HMAC's out every morning now kind of hiding behind some of the foliage there. The Ophilopinus uh, is out and about most times. Right now she's sitting right in there under the spider plant. We did a little webbing and kind of sits right out in the open. They eat right in front of me. And it just looks so darn nice on the shelf. So I already picked up. I got a bunch more exoterra sitting in my garage right now. We'll be setting up more enclosures. I have been showing more patience with setting these up by letting them sit for several weeks, letting the plants get established. I think I lucked out with the first few I set up because I basically took the plants right out of the packaging, dropped them in the enclosures, set it up, dropped the spider in, and they still did well, which is great because apparently they can that can be difficult. You have to let the plants establish themselves first, let the bioactive ingredients start to work, get everything going, and then you put the animal into it. So live and learn. I lucked out. The three that I set up with just basically throwing the plants in there and dropping the spiders in are doing fine. And then the ones that I'm letting sit are doing really well. I did just rehouse my P. metallica communal into it. And those guys, every morning I come down and they're all out and about. It's amazing. And I'm probably going to catch those little ones and pull them out of there because they just look silly sitting in there. Plus, I worry about the fact that that new enclosure is obviously much more spacious than the 32-ounce deli cup they were in, which means it's going to be harder for them to find and procure food. The other day I came in, and a bunch of the larger ones had already grabbed some roaches I had dropped in there, and the little ones were way up top of the enclosure where they are obviously not going to find prey at them. So if I drop little things in there, it's going to be much more difficult for them to find them. I want them to do well, so I may pluck those two little ones out and keep the other seven or eight in there. Still haven't gotten a good count. I thought I had 10 the other night, but I'm not sure, so we'll see how that goes. So the bio active enclosures, new obsession of mine. I'm basically tearing through my room, making notes of which species I want in bioactive enclosures. I'm looking at probably a nandochromatus is going into one. I have one of my pisosmes is going to go into one. I have a uh, orphanacus species, Panay blue, is going to go into one. I'm looking at right now, probably my Pisolotheria smithy is going to go into one. I want to do something with a Pisolotheria. So we'll see. Going ahead, I'm going to continue working with these enclosures. I'm going to continue to learn about the plants. I'm feeling encouraged by the fact that they haven't all dried up and gone black on me, which people may be laughing at this, but I honestly thought this was going to end with a bunch of dead plants. So, so far, so good. Again, thanks for everybody who's been giving me tips about them. I do appreciate it. And please, when you contact me, just say, hey, this is how it is, Tom. This is my experience. So I had people like, I don't want to tell you how to do things. No, I don't know what I'm doing. With, well, I shouldn't say that. I'm definitely getting better at it. I'm doing my research. But this is very, very new to me. So obviously, one of the ways I learn is to talk to other people that have done it. And some of the information that I've picked up from people that have taken the time to chime in and give me some pointers has been invaluable and has really helped me advance further in this. So I think looking ahead, I expect right now I have probably 20 that I plan to put in these enclosures. Again, I have a lot of adults and I'm really looking to put them into something something pretty that really makes the spiders stand out. And I will tell you that showing my friends and family some of these pictures of the enclosures and some videos of the enclosures, their responses, I mean, 
the old tub of dirt works great and I still will have species in that. So please, people who are keeping their stuff in sterilite bins, totally understand. Did it for years. We'll continue to do it for some species. I'm not knocking those. But I found that when you show somebody a spider that's in one of these beautiful bioactive enclosures, it's like it's, it's almost like it dilutes the shock of seeing a big spider, if that makes any sense. they When you show them just a picture of a spider on a pile of dirt, it's like, oh, God, big tarantula, oh, that's scary, and they don't really look at it and admire the beauty. But if it's got plants around it, it's climbing, sitting amongst, you know, nestled amongst some wandering Jew vines, and suddenly they're like, ooh, that's a nice, I like the setup. What plant is that? Oh, there's the spider, and it kind of softens the blow a little bit. So just little things I'm noticing with those bioactive enclosures that are really making me appreciate them even more. And basically, I'm realizing I made a good choice going this route. I'm really really glad I'm so glad the bio dude contacted me because it kind of forced the issue as far as trying these out and it's just not that I was bored of the hobby that's never going to happen but it did add a new a bit of excitement and fascination to the hobby so to end this one off I just want to point out something that uh, interesting little story kind of a scary little story that I think some people might glean something from I recently redid my entire tarantula room. I had to pull out some shelves that had DVDs on them for a while. They mostly had DVDs. I did have a two levels of shelves that were about the middle of it, probably right around neck level for me. And I kept some juveniles and slings there. They were very. I like having my juveniles and slings very visible so I can check on them all the time. I do tend to water and care for them and, and give them prey more than I do my other species. So I, want, I like them in a nice convenient spot. But anyway, I pulled these shelves out, put some new shelves in to show off my bioactive enclosures and fit those exoteras on it. And what I did was I raised the level that these slings and juveniles were on by about a foot and a half. So they were on a top shelf toward the top of the room. Didn't think anything of it. And again, usually I check on these guys every, you know, every three or four days. Well, I went a little bit longer this time. I had a rough week last week and I was struggling to get everything done in time. And I'm like, they'll be fine there. They've usually, they've gone a week before and never had any issues. Water dishes still had water in it, whatever. What I didn't take into account is because I use extra heat in the room, I do have the heater running. And we had one of these nights where it got extra cold, so the heater was running more. That the temperature where I put them was quite a few degrees warmer than where they usually were. It was right around five or six degrees warmer on the new shelf. So when you have it, you know, the temperature raises to that point, what you have is faster evaporation. The water dishes become empty faster. The substrate dries out faster. And if you're not careful, your spider dries out. So what happened is I, this is, I've been keeping on target, you know, every three or four days, feeding them water and whatever. I check them all the time. And I, it, it was, I believe, five days total. I think I did them on a Sunday and then right around Friday, Saturday. I think I can't remember exactly when it was, but that's when I was going to do them again. And I looked up and saw that one of my S asterisk juveniles, juvenile female, I believe, was looking rather sluggish. Not in a full death curl, but definitely looking a little lethargic and kind of pulled into herself immediately panicked, pulled down her enclosure, and my God, it had completely dried out. Her water dish was completely empty, and honestly, it looked to me like a spider that was suffering from dehydration. Now, I I can't even tell you guys the last time this has happened. I'm very careful with checking. I monitor those guys constantly. I'm in there with a flashlight. I have a whole pattern that I do when I go in and feed them and rehydrate and whatever. And this never happens. I was like shocked. Like what the heck happened? I've had these guys in here for so long. Well, it was that heat. It was the extra heat. I moved them not thinking. Now any other species probably would have been okay because bigger enclosures, more water to evaporate, bigger water dishes. But these guys have small enclosures 
with little water dishes and it probably that five or six degree difference or that raising temperature was probably enough to just suck the moisture right out of it. So luckily I pulled her down. I immediately filled her water dish. She was very lethargic. Shoot her over the water dish. Again, back to our water dish point, And guess what she did? She drank for quite some time. It was great to see, but made me feel like the crappiest keeper on the planet because another day or two, and who knows what would happen. So I did pull down all the rest of my guys, and all of them had, they still had the moist substrate. They still, most of them had full water dishes with water in them. There was one other one, my, uh, which one was it? It might have been, oh, it was a G Poker Peas that was dry, but those guys are fine. So it was only this one spider. I'm not sure what happened, if it was, the, you know, proximity to the heater. It's But whatever the, the case may be, I almost screwed up and it ended up with a dead spider. So for people who think I don't mess up, yes, I do. Um, this was an eye opener and it's also something that people need to consider when they move stuff around in their tarantula rooms. If you're, if you have a room that's heated or you have a room that might be drafty or less, it, the change in temperature, it might not seem like much to you, but the change in temperature from the bottom of the room, like if you take a thermometer and measure the temperature, say at a bottom shelf in your room, and then you put the thermometer all the way up to the top of the room, you're going to see quite a difference in temperatures. And that's something that we always need to keep in mind when we rearrange things, when we, you know, redo our room and decide to move things around and that's something that almost bit me right in the butt with these guys so good news is i've switched i've got them off that shelf now that's not going to work for me i need to make sure that they were a little too high where i couldn't see them quite well and that kind of bothered me a bit and now we got had this happen so i'm moving them away from the heater a little bit for the time being when summer comes it won't be such a big deal because although i get a little warmer in my room it's usually humid so it's not such a big deal the water doesn't evaporate as much winter time though that's kind of an issue so just something to think about if you're moving things around i know it really it was a wake-up call for me because i have things here i i don't I believe the number of animals I have right now I can comfortably deal with. There's no stress. I enjoy feeding them. Most of them get done. It's right around the schedule. Just about for everybody now is almost five days. I have a couple that I'll go a little longer with. Some of my bigger species I have. You know, Lazyodora parahibana, Lazyodora itabune, they're right next to each other on the shelf. And I, although I keep the water full, keep part of the substrate moist, I feed them larger prey so they only get fed like every couple weeks or so. But the rest of the majority of my specimens, I have no problem feeding, you know, sometimes more than once a week. But in this instance, even though it had only been a week, and I'll hear people say, oh, yes, things can wait a week, no problem. Because I moved them, because I changed the temperature, because it was evaporating faster, I almost ended up with tragedy. So just something to keep in mind. She is great. She's eaten. She's plucked right back up. She was not in a full death curl. However, if I'm being honest, another couple days I get distracted doing something here. I'm home writing a report or whatever and go, you know what, I'll, I'll check them tomorrow or go through them again tomorrow. That could have been tragedy. So something to keep in mind when negotiating. We've talked before about how you can use the different heights of shelving and stuff in your room to your advantage with your tarantulas. It's also to keep in mind it can work the other way where it can be to your disadvantage where you keep your slings or whatnot, especially if you can dry them out quicker. So just wanted to share that story because again, it does show that I do mess things up and this that would have been totally on me and I would have called myself on it. Luckily it ended well, but it did make me start to think a little bit more about where I position things and to keep those type of things in mind when dealing with my collection. So that'll about do it for this one. Again, I hope you guys will post up some pics of your tarantulas drinking just to kind of, you know, put it out there. Again, I'm not, this isn't a confrontational, hey, if you don't put 
water dishes in your cages, you're a terrible keeper. It's nothing like that. But I do feel like I need to explain my side of it, my point, so it's not misconstrued. Um, I know a couple years ago, somebody was like, Tom Moran said you absolutely have to have him, and it turned into this whole hoopla, and I, I didn't chime in, but that's my thought on it. It makes sense to me. I'm giving everybody that I can fit one in a, a water dish, and I'm going to continue to do that. If people don't do it, that's your that's your right. Just find a way to hydrate them so that they don't end up, you know, dying and, and death curling because that's not going to help anybody. So I'm done. Please show me your pictures of your tarantulas drinking. As always, you can check out my website, which I as this seems to be my catchphrase now. I need to get back and do some work. I got all these articles written. I haven't been able to put them up. I just haven't had the time. I do have the YouTube channel that's doing very well. If you want to see me actually, you know, act some of this stuff out as far as, you know, see the spiders, see me actually working with them. That'll do it. I will catch you guys all next time.